Hey, it's Bill Simmons. The Ringer is very excited about our new podcast that went through a lot of name iterations. What'd you decide on, Larry Wilmore? Larry Wilmore, Black on the Air. What, what was the runner-up? <laughs> well, the Bill Simmons idea was, was it Lar Lar Land? <laughs> Lar Lar. <laughs> was that what it was? Lar Lar Land. Lar Lar. Where With the la- <laughs> you think people are going to subscribe to Lar Lar Land? <laughs> that joke was that it would be the worst that, idea for a podcast. No, it was horrible. You don't want people thinking worst when they're No, I wanted you to have a good one. This is a very good name. So what's going to be on this podcast? It's going to be me kind of uh, weighing in on some of the issues of the day with my audience. And then I'll be interviewing some really cool people during the podcast. Each week it'll be somebody different. Uh, sometimes like culture, sometimes politics, sometimes sports, sometimes maybe an interest of mine, sometimes television. I've worked a lot in television. Yeah. We got Norman Lear coming up, Bernie Sanders, Neil deGrasse Tyson. So lots of great guests. Awesome. Welcome to the podcasting Thanks, world, Larry Wilmore. Subscribe to Larry Wilmore's podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Soccer Pod. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com, and I am joined by, as always, by my anchor midfielder, the biggest Madridista I know, Ryan O'Hanlon. <laughs> Hala Madrid. What's up, man? So we have, uh, for the first time, as you pointed out in your wonderful Champions League winners and losers piece that went up on The Ringer on Thursday, the two best teams in Europe, arguably, are playing in the Champions League final for the first time since 2011 when Manchester United played Barcelona at mm-hmm. Wembley, a match that I attended I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah, it was my first Grantland piece. Was it? Yeah. I wasn't reading the internet back then. <laughs> you were waiting for the internet to get good? Yeah, I was just mad that I wasn't writing it, so I didn't read it. No, it was. Uh, that was an incredible experience. That was the Messi game. That was where Messi was like, I'm the best player of all time. Are you going to go to the game this year? Uh, I don't know where it is. Where is it? Cardiff. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, can we talk really briefly about whether or not Cardiff is a, a big enough European capital to warrant having a Champions League final? I know that they have a pretty cool stadium. No, no disrespect to the to the Welsh listeners. I don't think it is big enough. I mean, they'll make it work. But yeah. It, uh, it seems like it might kind of be a, a logistical disaster. Let's see. We'll, we, we love logistical disasters. Um, Ryan, so Juve and Real... Heading to the final, um, Juve dispatched a plucky Monaco 4-1 on aggregate. Real had a little bit more trouble with Crosstown rivals Atletico, who made a show of it by scoring two quick goals Mm -hmm. in their second leg. But eventually, um, Zidane and the boys came for them. So now we get um, a really interesting matchup in the the final. Uh, And you, you wrote a little bit about this, but... These are two managers in an age where we ascribe a lot of um, what happens in a soccer match to the manager. Like they executed a certain style, he made adjustments, he did this, he nullified that. Uh, these are two managers who, while both very accomplished, seem to downplay a little bit the importance of what they do. I mean, Legri makes it sound like it's a player's game and that he just sort of sets up a structure for them to succeed. And Zidane, he could be the biggest genius in managerial history, but he's got the players, so you'll never know it. Yeah. Like you said with Allegri, it's sort of stark to see how he just comes out and says sort of like my job doesn't really matter, or at least in the way that we sort of think of managers as like guys that are crafting these super complex strategies on the chalkboard. Um, And Zidane followed up Rafa Benitez at Madrid, and I think part of the reason Benitez failed was because he wanted such a sort of concrete structure with that team when really they just have a ton of talent and Zidane has essentially been like 
I'm just going to put all my best players on the field. Yeah, he's the sort of managerial manifestation of the Galactico concept, right? Yeah. Like, he is a Galactico, a former Galactico. Yeah. He knows all about how players want to attack. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say, if you had to say, this is how Real Madrid plays, if you were trying to explain it to somebody who would never seen them this in the last two seasons, what would you say about them? Because they are a sort of strange team. They have so many good attackers, but I think of them as a very compact organized side yeah i think they the the this is maybe going to offend all of my real madrid brethren um (laughs) but they play a lot like a premier league team from like the early 2000s they cross the ball a ton and they shoot from long range a ton and that's not um it's not the most efficient sort of playing style but they're they can create a decent cross and always get you know, within 30 yards and rip off a shot, and they have all these incredible players that, like, the super inefficient strategy always ends up working for them because they're crossing so often and they're shooting so often and they have Ronaldo getting onto the end of the ball and they have Bale shooting from 25 yards out. It's, it's, it's I think it, their style sort of frustrates some people because, like, we love these genius managers that yeah. create these complex game plans um, out of nowhere, and Madrid is succeeding without that it seems like um or is the don underrated i think he probably is because part of being a manager is knowing like what your players respond to right this is sort of an nba coach question we're having right now with mike brown running the warriors and it's like the warriors are running at at maximum efficiency yeah and i'm sure they're using steve kerr's game plans to some extent but with zidane it's like if you've got that level of talent is it sort of more of a matter of not screwing it up yeah, I, I think that's what he has turned it into, and I think we're sort of the past two years we're kind of in a like we talked about last podcast. It's like a bit of a dip in the overall quality of the best teams in Europe, mm-hmm. and I think the way he's doing it, um, there's room for that to succeed. Um, and you, you, like he saw what didn't work with the guy before him, I think, and. He's kind of just he's put Casemiro in a sort of defensive midfielder who I think is probably someone that if he was on a team that wasn't Real Madrid he might you wouldn't like pick him out and be like that guy's awesome. Right. Um, it's not like Conte where you're just like oh well obviously yeah. he's yeah. And I think there's maybe a world where Benit where not Benitez where is it a different manager figures out a way to fit a guy who's better than Casemiro but doesn't have the same defensive abilities as him and he finds a way to create a system that works for them and they're even better than they are but they don't need to be I mean they're they won the Champions League last year they're probably going to win La Liga and they're in the final this year and you talked about um there this is a subtly different real team than the ones that we've seen in the past they've been using ronaldo more as a uh like almost like a fox in the box right like Basically. kind of a poacher yeah and one of the things i thought you that was really interesting about what you wrote about today recording this on thursday is um the role of isco playing as a kind of uh more of a link-up player who mm-hmm. connects um who connects who's like the purely like offensive player but he's he's connecting the midfield with the strike force yeah i think so he's basically slotting in for gareth bale and they're just not similar players at all right gareth bale's gonna dribble past people and shoot a ton um and when bale's in the lineup it's sort of luka modric or tony cruz get on the ball and they try to feed those feed guys. him yeah. in space him um, benzema and, and ronaldo. ronaldo yeah um but without him Isco's almost Isco has and does play in the midfield for them a lot too. So having him as that sort of third attacker, 
I think it it makes the team a little more solid, mm-hmm. I think. Probably less prone to giving up goals, but also their attack is probably it's more patient, but it's probably less. Is he sort of like an Ozil type player? Yeah, I would say so. But a little um, bit more defensively capable, right? Yeah, or defensively willing, maybe. Yeah, right. Um <laughs> Yeah, they're they're similar, uh, but Isco also dribbles a ton. Um and Ozil's not really taking people on that often, at least anymore. Yeah, so right now, um, the person who's been sort of sacrificed to all of this talent that Real has in their front six has been James. Do you see James playing somewhere else next year? Is he the next best, like, sixth dude on Barca or Madrid to get sold somewhere else? Because I know you said Isco is probably going to stay. Yeah, he's either has or is going to, it seems like, sign a new contract for the next five years. And that, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to stay. If anything, it sort of inflates his transfer value. Um, but it does seem like James, he's scored over the weekend because I, or recently, because Zidane is able to just rotate the team because they have their second team is would maybe make the Champions League final also. Um, but he's like Isco is not maybe in the first 11 still with everyone healthy. But when one person gets hurt, he's a main person. James still like isn't playing in any important game. So I think you would. St- assume he's going to leave because this is the second year in a row that he really hasn't played but if he stays i keep cashing cashing the checks i guess i wonder i could see james being a coutinho replacement if barca goes for coutinho i would be okay with that would you as a liverpool fan yeah Yeah. I, i think i think the past two i think he was overrated by the world cup um and they replaced Di maria with him just because like because he scored that goal they wanted to sell jerseys (laughs) Di maria's definitely better i think um but now him not playing it's sort of underrated him and when he plays his like scoring and assist numbers are great still um i don't i would sort of be concerned with how he would deal with um playing all the time after not playing for two years (laughs) but like running his ass off for 90 minutes every time yeah but he, he seems like there were the the ozil and sanchez transfers a couple years ago and i guess we really haven't had a Madrid or Barca well, Barca's off. been so top heavy. Yeah, in some way, in some ways, Real's been pretty top heavy too. I mean, yeah. Cruz, Modric, and uh, Casemiro are like a pretty solid midfield for yeah. them. That's like who they go with. Um, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting. Him and Renato Sanchez are the two guys who I'm kind of like most curious about seeing what happens with them this summer. Just because if Sanchez doesn't get to play in Bayern and if Thiago's there, I don't know what he's going to do. I mean, yeah. I guess you could try to play those two guys together. Well. You could, but uh, I. It seems like Bayern might be in for Nabi Keita too from mm-hmm. Leipzig, so that's another guy that Sanchez Jesus. is going to have to deal with. Um, <laughs> Can't believe it. But it's it, it's just like now it's like these three teams are sort of sucking up all of the talent and like some of the best players in the world. Just we don't get to see them play ever now. Yeah, which is not not ideal. Um, let's talk a little bit about Juventus because they have some of the best players in the world, but. Some of their best players in the world are like the guys who were the best players in the world seven years ago, like uh, Danny Alves and Mario Mandzukic. Um, You wrote about how uh, Allegri has been taking these guys, often he gets for free, which is another crazy thing, and just slightly adjusting their roles that they're used to on a soccer team. So Alves is playing as um, a very creative uh, he, you know, he's obviously thought of as one of the best fullbacks in the world, mm-hmm. but now he's had like a much more 
uh, diverse, create diversely creative role in the in the midfield. Yeah. So talk talk to me a little bit about that. Well, when he was with Barcelona, you know, every time the sort of lineup was on a board before the game, it would be Alves on the right, and then there would be some sort of winger. But he basically played as like just the right side by yeah. himself. He was like almost a fourth striker and a like a, like a wing midfield. Yeah. Yeah, and would have to drop all the way back um whenever they got attacked, which actually, you know, wasn't that often. Um and now with Juventus, um they play with three center backs. Um so Alves is a wing back and he has a little bit less defensive responsibility, I think. Now he's he's still the only like nominal right-sided player in the mm-hmm. lineup because he's a wingback. Um, but uh, he can sort of, he has so much support inside, he can kind of wander around. And he's, I think he has the most ch- chances created in the Champions League this season um, after leaving Barcelona on a tree fr- free transfer. And you were saying that the goal he scored against uh, against Monaco on Tuesday, I think it was, was the... Uh, it was like it gave a peek at his possible like sliding doors career he could have yeah. had as a Stephen Gerrard type number eight. Well, it's just like when you're on Barcelona um, and Messi and all of those guys are on the team. It's like Xavi and Iniesta. You yeah. kind of you find your role and you stick to it and you do what needs to be done um, to help those guys su- su- succeed. But then in these past few games, you see him playing these through balls from like the center of the field, or yeah. you see him volleying. Um, these rebounds in and it's just like this guy is incredible and i wonder if he'd sort of stayed on a lesser team um if he would have seen him doing stuff like this more often yeah and then the other person you wrote about was manduzic and uh you know he is somebody who is like a kind of a traditional number nine uh maybe not as flashy as somebody like Lewandowski or something like that but was a really like useful player of yeah. playing at the tip of a, of, a, of a formation. But now, under Allegri, has been kind of shuffled out to the wing, but not in the kind of, like, I think usually what we think of is somebody like Daniel Sturridge or Welbeck or somebody who, if if the manager doesn't have a ton of confidence in, or they, they prefer somebody to play the number nine, but they don't want to not have this guy in the field, that they yeah. put them off on the wing and hope that they can do something out there, play a little bit of defense, and then come come in. Yeah. But you talk, talked about Mario in the way that it's he's almost like a stretch four, right? Like yeah. he's dominating smaller players, and you know, but he's too quick for the big center backs. Yeah, it's with a guy like Sturridge or Welbeck, it's like they're still, those guys are both fast and can dribble by people, um, which is a valuable asset to have on the wing. Um, Mandzukic isn't fast. He does, he like never dribbles by anyone. And they're basically using him as like he's playing like a target forward, like getting winning balls in the air, playing one twos with center mids or wing backs, but he's doing it like on the left side of the field. Yeah. So he's, He's winning these balls in the air. Like he he would win balls in the air against, you know, Tiago Silva or any big center back, but now he's when you like sort of lob the ball up to him, it's him versus a tiny outside back who's right. wants especially on a good team, the outside backs are used to attacking the whole time and not having to deal with like a six foot two giant just right. posting them up. So like a long ball in the air is usually a like a 50-50 proposition to keep possession, right? But to him, against an outside back, it's like an 80% chance that you So he's not even a stretch four. He's almost like a big 
big three. You know what I mean? Like yeah, he's like yeah, yeah. a wing player who's using physicality rather than quickness. Yeah. And then the other thing, as we saw yesterday, it's, you know, he can still get into the box from the wing. And if you chip a ball up to the back post and he gets a full head of steam and there's just a guy who's six inches shorter than him with his feet just still trying to jump up and win the ball while Mandzukic just has a running start, he's going to win the header yeah, every time. Yeah, the other guy's going to wind up on his back too, yeah. probably. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's it's Mourinho did played Samuel Eto on the wing yeah. um, with Inter, Inter yeah. when they won, but he wasn't using him in the same way. He, he was using he him like, more as like another it, defender. Yeah. yeah, another defender and basically turned him into an actual winger. And Mandzukic is, Mandzukic is getting back in defending, but he's playing offensively in a way that wingers never do. So if you had to call it right now, do you see Juventus or Real winning? My heart says Real because I just never, no matter who they're playing, even if it's Barcelona at their peak, I always feel like Real Madrid is going to win still. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think Juventus is just, they're just so solid. Um, And you know what you're going to get with them every time they play. You know, they've only won twice, which seems weird because you'd think that they would have been like one of those five-time Champions League winners Mm -hmm. given like the stature of the club. But they remain kind of an opaque franchise to me from across the like the the ocean where they they just, their ability to come back up from being relegated into Serie B to now just being regular semifinalists and finalists in the Champions League to be able to sell off Pogba and come right back at it. And I, you know, they have like a kind of old European grandeur to me. I know it's the Agnelli, like the Ferrari family owns them. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, do you think that uh, this Juventus team is on the cusp of a cycle of dominance, or do you think if they sell off Dybala and they sell off, you know, or Allegra leaves, like, they'll be, they'll, they'll cycle down a little bit? They're one of the teams, I think, that has sort of the, that infrastructure that even if personnel leaves, whether it's management or players, they can just reload. Because I, I don't, the team has been changing a decent amount like every couple of years over the past five or six They've years. They've kept their defense pretty... Yeah, the defense is the defense and Buffon. Right. Basically, Chiellini and Buffon have been there for, I think... And Benucci, I, too. And Benucci's yeah. been there for a while. And Barzagli has also been there for a long time. I just feel like Licksteiner's been there for 106 years. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it's... They've replaced Licksteiner with Danny Alves, um, which is a nice upgrade. Um they're always sort of playing the same way, I guess, but they're changing their players all the time. And they're not, it's not like they're overturning the team and bringing in a new generation of young guys that then age out and then they sell them. It's they're bringing in like already peaked players. I don't, I don't know if we talked about this before, but when you watch them play and then you watch almost any other team in the world and you watch how Juventus is. The level of organization of Juventus that seems to be just like something they drink in the bottom in the yeah. mineral water there, and you just never when you watch Liverpool or when you watch Arsenal and you're just like nah, they're gonna give up a goal yeah like they're like they're, like three of these guys aren't even paying attention yeah. to what they're supposed to be doing <laughs> but then you watch Juventus and it's like watching a bicycle wheel turn just mm-hmm. like the way that no one is ever out of position no one's ever exposed there's never like oh man if they could just like switch the field of play and attack down the left right here like they just destroy them and it's just everything is like is so perfectly balanced it's so wild to watch yeah it's it's incredible and it's just so different than sort of how all the other top teams play it's like 
being hectic is sort of like the new wet, like new cool thing. Yeah, um, right. It's like it that all. frenzy. And also Juventus, I mean, as you can see, they have a little bit of like the Bayern thing in Italy, I think, where they get to sort of poach some of the best yeah. players on the like competing teams. They don't have a very strenuous domestic schedule where they're off. They're, you know, they're, they're usually like they, over the last few years, they've been at least like six yeah. or seven points clear or whatever. So they have a they, but they, the way that they play almost seems to lend itself to playing their best at this time of year. Yeah, I agree, and it's it's interesting because sort of they're so good defensively, and Atletico Madrid is the other team you would put in that class. Yeah, but the Atletico Madrid style is like it's amazing that they can last beyond January every yeah. year because they're, like they're just, having a heart attack for like three months. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it, it just everything about the team and the way it. It's built the way they play just seems sustainable. The players are going to change, but it seems I'll be surprised if they're not sort of competing at this level for the foreseeable future. It was probably the most compelling Champions League knockout round that I've seen in a while. Obviously, the Dortmund uh, bus attack like yeah. casted a, a sort of a cloud over it, and you have to wonder whether or not uh, Dortmund in any other circumstance could have beaten Monaco. Yeah. Um, because they came pretty close having to play the day after mm -hmm. um, they were attacked. But I think one of the cool things about it was while you had these teams like um, Juve and Real, who you ordinarily expect, you did get some exciting fresh blood in there with Monaco. And the same goes for Atletico. I mean, um, they've been making a really good Champions League push over the last three, yeah. four years. Do you think that... Um, Monaco and Atletico will have the same manager next year, and will they have their best players? I don't think. I think I would. I don't think Monaco. Monaco won't have their best players. I'm pretty certain of that. Um, so you think Mbappe is getting sold? Yeah, I think Mbappe and some of the other guys will probably leave too. Um, Atletico, I think the timer is just about at zero with the Simeone era. And it can be pretty real in Spain because like, I think that if you're not part of the duopoly, if I, I understand what a huge connection Simeone has to the club, but it's Valencia was right there too. Yeah. And Valencia won the league and, Valen and Benitez had Valencia playing really well in Europe. And after he left, I mean, Valencia kind of fell apart has been in the process of falling apart for years. And I think they had a pretty good run with Unai Emery for a while, but it, it's not. It's it, it, it's a pretty it's a pretty steep slope in in Spain if you fall off just a little bit. Yeah, I, I guess the one thing you could think is that Messi and Ronaldo are presumably at some point going to start getting worse. Yeah. So maybe that's your... Eastern Conference of the NBA likes to think that every year too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it, so that's probably foolish thinking. Um, but you know, it's it's it it's hard not to look at Atletico Madrid over the past three years and feel like they basically completely maxed out their potential in a oh, way yeah. that no other team in the world right. has done. So when you think of it that way, so that got them two finals runs, a La Liga title, which is probably the most impressive thing they did out yeah. of all of this. Two finals, one semifinal, and a La Liga title. Yeah. Um, so if you're Simeone and you did that, that's that's an impressive achievement. So do you think we're so close, like why don't I keep pushing? Or do you think, hey we did something amazing and it didn't totally get us to the mountaintop of the Champions League. Well, it's time to that cash I'm in on this. fascinated to see is if Simeone goes to Inter or AC, you know, if he went to 
Can't remember which which whether it was Inter or AAC. Where did he? I think he played Inter. both Inter, Inter, yeah. and Inter, Inter. They just fired their manager. By all accounts, has plenty of money yeah. too. Um, I mean, he they could challenge Juventus within a couple of years, especially the way he plays. Yeah, I mean, I think they're sort of constrained a little bit by financial fair play since they're not in Europe. Um, That's true. But it's sort of, in a way, it's he used to play there. Um, I'm sure they can pay him a lot and. It sort of lets him lets him play his style in a way that would be acceptable. You know yeah. what I mean? Like if you went to Arsenal, I guess they would do whatever. Like fans would be okay with whatever got them titles. But I think there are places where like playing that underdog style actually wouldn't fly. Um, so in other European news, Manchester United is sounds like they are going to uh, beat Celta Vigo in the semifinal and go to the Europa League final. Which, according to Jose Mourinho, who has now announced that it was always his plan to get into the Champions League via Europa League because of the crazy schedule that he has to play with 17 games in a, you know in six weeks or something like that, or however many days it was. Um, how has the last couple of weeks in the Premier League changed your opinion, or has it changed your opinion about who's going to Europe and who is staying home? I think, obviously, Liverpool slipping up a little bit and Arsenal suddenly winning a couple games um magically and i would say luckily um has changed things just because the the point totals are closer but i still think um i think the biggest inflection point over the past couple weeks was seeing man you just get roasted by arsenal yeah that sort of that weirdly confirmed to me that okay i think liverpool's still because they're way ahead of arsenal yeah Yeah. overall Everyone sort of going full throttle. Manu is better than Arsenal. I have no doubt in my mind mm-hmm. that that's true. With um, Zlatan, with yeah, yeah, and th- them chasing Liverpool is a scarier um, proposition than Arsenal chasing them. Um, the thing with Liverpool, it's still the same shit. It's there. You never know what's going to happen when they're playing a team that's sort of packing it in. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I would still, I still think it's going to be. I mean, maybe Arsenal finishes fifth now, um, and Liverpool finishes fourth, um, and Manu drops to sixth. Let's keep having the same conversation though that we were having about uh, about Atletico and, and to some extent Dortmund, and this idea that there's a style of play that's very hard to sustain over the course of the year. And you can make arguments that it's that specific style of play that Liverpool employs uh, that makes it hard for them to beat. Uh, teams who don't want the ball in the first place yeah. and are very well organized, but you know Tottenham also plays very physical. They've I think become more disciplined and mm-hmm. know when to like change gears. But they lost um, this Crystal Palace, I think, right three nothing, which yeah. essentially ended the title run for them. Um, do you think that you'll see in the next year or so Klopp and Pochettino adjusting their styles of play? Um, or do you think that they're just going to say like, you know what, maybe it's time that we punt on one or two cups, whether what, no matter what it is, like whether it's the, the, the league cup and, you know, maybe we won't play, play our, we'll play our kids in Europe until, uh, you know, if we're in the Europa league until yeah. X date, I mean, what, what can you do to sustain a style of play over the course of a season like that? It's I, sometimes I wonder if like all of the consternation about Liverpool is just that they don't have a good enough squad. Mm-hmm. Like their Mane is their best player. I think we would both agree on that yeah. at this point. Um, and he's been out for a while. Henderson was having probably the best season of his career. He's been out for a while. Um, Lalana 
also having the best season of his career probably he's also been out for a while so it's like without those three guys Liverpool isn't Chelsea Man U or Man City so yeah. they just don't have the depth and losing your best players hurts more but at the same time Liverpool didn't buy anyone in January and they knew they were going to have the fixture congestion um they knew Mane was going to leave for the African Cup of Nations um they at by January they knew Sturridge just wasn't in their plans I mean, I think whether i feel like they've known that for a while yeah because even when sturridge is like nominally available klopp seems to want to avoid him yeah so there's no now they're relying on origi to play up top and that's just he's just not good enough to yeah. for this team um and it's the sort of the same thing with tottenham it's like what depth do they have they bought sissoko and a random another french guy and like they haven't added anything to the team it's like you need these teams need the depth too they need to buy the right players and i think that you know it's tough to buy the right player when i guess well it's also it's what Mourinho always used to say is that you'd rather have a 22-man squad where everybody knows exactly what they're supposed to do yeah than have a bloated team where he's constantly answering questions about why this guy isn't playing or why that guy's yeah. not playing and that's why he cut his team down he got yeah. rid of guys in the summer and in the in winter and now he's sort of paying the price for it and you know, I think that they probably will beat Ajax in the Europa League final. I'm, I would, I would think, but yeah, they'll be the favorites. Obviously. They'll be the favorites. I mean, Ajax certainly is playing like out of their minds right now. But it, I don't know that you can win, you can compete on this many levels with Europe being as good as it is now with these other European teams yeah. being so good. You're just gonna. I, I don't know when the next time we're gonna see a British team get to the semifinals of the Champions League is. It's tough. Uh, it's tough. I, I think the way for it to happen is like we've talked about this also is for like England to become Germany, you know, and the talent just sort of seeps up the table. And but with all that money, it's hard to say I don't one team is going to be the buying team. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but like if this were Germany, Mane would be going to Chelsea this summer, yeah. you know, but that's not going to happen now right. or he wouldn't or Man U, something like that. Um, and the agents aren't stupid enough to be like, yeah, why don't you go play every third game at, Man City or Chelsea when yeah. you could play every game for Tottenham, Arsenal, or Liverpool. Yeah. If there's going to be a 1A or a 2 to second tier that gets to the Champions League, that plays on international television regularly, yeah. that gets the kind of exposure that the Premier League teams do, then I would I would anticipate that as long as Champions League football is there, guys like Alexis Sanchez won't necessarily just be like, whatever, I'll just go come off the bench for Man City because the wages are good. Yeah, I don't think so, and I don't. I think there's probably a world where Man City sort of separates themselves from the pack, possibly. But more likely, I think we're just going to see sort of a revolving door like of a, teams a six to the top. dogfight. Yeah, the teams finishing fourth. Like the top four is not going to be the same every year. It's going to change every season. Um, maybe the teams that aren't in the Champions League just have that advantage, like yeah. Chelsea has this year. Um, I don't see anything changing for the foreseeable future. Okay. All right. Well, we have, uh, we'll, we're going to do a special episode in a week or two that's looking back on the last few years of the Premier League, I think, and just kind of trying to evaluate where these clubs are, but also where they've been over sort of this decade. Yeah. Um, and seeing who's, who's positioned for the future. Yeah. And then uh, we'll obviously do some more Champions League stuff as the, uh, as the game gets closer. Until then, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. 